The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Sarah Eisen, and you're listening to a Money Movers podcast special. Davos 2024 is a wrap. While on the ground, I spoke with some of the biggest names in retail. Here's my conversation with Ralph Lauren CEO, Patrice Louvet. Patrice, it's great to see you here, as always. Great to be here with you, Sue. So one of the topics of discussion here at Davos is what the global economy is going to look like in 2024. I have to say there's more optimism, certainly than last year and previous years. What do you think? You've got a great lens on the U.S. and global consumer. Right. Listen, I, the headline thought for us is we're cautiously optimistic as we get into 2024. I think one of the things that really has characterized the work we've done with Rapport in particular is our ability to build in resilience into our business model, into our brand, so that you can count on Ralph Lauren, irrespective of what the environment will look like. And we've had to navigate COVID. We've had to navigate the inflationary pressure situation. And so we feel confident going into How has your business changed most since COVID? It, it really was a reckoning for retailers like yours and a test of leadership. Yeah, I think there are a few areas that have evolved for us. First of all, if you look at the way consumers have been shopping, right, there's been a pretty significant pivot that we all have to make towards digital. And that's been a big new capability for us. And it stayed, right? About a quarter of our business now is, is digital. The second area is you look at how people dress, right, and what's changed there. And you hear a lot about quiet luxury. And I think in times of uncertainty, consumers are gravitating towards brand they know, products they trust. And so we're seeing that clearly evolve as consumers move to more sophisticated casual dressing. So for us, what does that look like? It's cable knit sweaters, it's these heritage tweed jackets, it's these unconstructed uh, jackets, it's Oxford shirts. Those are a couple areas. And then I think, you know, we've just learned to build a bigger agility muscle, right? Uh, and, you know, obviously we have supply chain challenges as we speak with what's happening in the Suez Canal. And I think one of the one of the new muscles that this company has developed is this ability to just be nimble and be agile, stay true to who we are, but navigate with agility. How is that affecting you, the, the tensions and the who's the attacks in the Red Sea, the shipments, the So we've built over time, and, and COVID was a big enabler for this, a relatively resilient and flexible and diversified supply chain. So the impact for us is not is, is not material. It's a disruption, of course, but it's it's not material. One of your key strategies, and I followed your tenure since you came from Gillette at Ralph Lauren, has been elevating the brand. Yes. You always talk about AUR, right? What's the significance of that? How much work have you done there? And is it harder to do that in a tougher economic environment where it's a little lumpy, like we're going into? So I start with where this company, how this company was founded, right? And if you go back 57 years now, Ralph initially launched the company on a tie out of a drawer in the Empire State Building. And this tie was positioned as a luxury proposition. Actually, it was two and a half times the price of a Christian drawer tie. So our work has really been focused on how do we go back to those roots of a luxury company. And that's why the brand elevation strategy is core to uh, everything that we You that thought we it do. went too mainstream? I think in some parts of the world, we had done too mainstream, overly distributed, overly promoted. Uh, the US probably being the poster child of that. 
And what we're doing is we're elevating the product, we're elevating the storytelling, we're elevating the shopping experience, whether it's online and in stores. That is helping us improve our luxury perception. 80% uh, of consumers perceive Ralph Lauren as, the, as a luxury brand. It's helping us improve our value perception. And as a result, because you and I love to talk about AUR <laughs> at average unit retail, as a result, we're able to increase our AUR. Some analysts are wondering why the margins haven't increased as much given the improvement on pricing and the brand elevation than, than some of your competitors who haven't done as much work on that front. Yeah, so we've had great progress on gross margins if you kind of compare where we are today versus even pre-COVID as a result of the elevation, as a result of investing in higher value products. You know, we have a number of different factors that are driven by product mix, geographical mix, channel mix, that's driven our gross margin improvement. We've also improved on the SGNA effectiveness, and we're, we're on a really nice trajectory in terms of operating margin expansion. We will continue to do that while continuing to invest in, in the business. Where are you investing? I feel like geographical diversity has Geographically, been a big yeah. yeah. Uh, so our core market is the US, yeah. right? So we want to make sure that we're, we're driving that successfully. China, as you and I have talked in the past, is a major opportunity for us. China today is about 6 to 7% of the company. Pre-COVID, it was around 3%. So we've made good progress. But when you compare the penetration of luxury companies and, and China, it's more 20, 30, 40% of their business. So I think we have a lot of runway in, in China. Southeast Asia in general is a significant white space opportunity for us. And then we're starting to plant seeds in India. I know that's a topic this yeah. week, right? Uh, in, but with it really a lens to the next 10 years and the next 20 years to make sure we're building the right brand positioning, the right brand equity, so that we can benefit from that in the many decades to come. China's been a really good story for you and a growth driver, as you mentioned, even amid questions last year and going into this year about the strength of their recovery, That's how much right. China's willing to add stimulus to juice retail sales and economic growth. Right. What are you seeing on that front? Yeah, China's been very has been consistently strong for us. You saw that in our last last quarter release. I think what the team is doing really well there is we're very focused. We focus on top six cities, right? Taipei, Hong Kong, Shenzhen, Chengdu, Shanghai, Beijing. We are building uh, consumer-centric ecosystems with a flagship store, Polo Boutique, Surround Sound Digital, Quality Wholesale. On the product front, this is where we sell our most elevated product, actually. Our most expensive cashmere sweaters are actually loved by our Chinese consumers. And so we're leaning into that. We've also seen really nice diversity in terms of the makeup of our customer base. It's a younger consumer, more diverse from a gender standpoint. And I think the team is doing a great job bringing our purpose to life which is global and universal, and weaving that into the Chinese culture. All right, I'll give you a recent example. We did a partnership with Mr. Bags. Mr. Bags is a bag expert in China. Okay. Uh, we developed special collections with him. Our products vaporize in a question of minutes, actually, as soon as we put it online. So making sure that we are true to our values and true to what we represent around the world, we're weaving the brand into what's relevant for the Chinese. Consumer. You said the most high-end cashmere sweaters. Yes. Uh, how much? How much is a high-end cashmere sweater? Oh, there's a broad range, but you, <laughs> you know, if you're ready for it, you could spend a thousand dollars or more on that. I'm asking because I, I do wonder why Ralph Lauren doesn't get the valuation of some of the European luxury companies, which it feels like you're trying to play in that area and competing against. Yeah, so we've made good progress on valuation. Obviously, we want to continue to drive that. And our goal is to be associated with the, the key luxury players. Um, I think, you know, when you look at our business in Europe and Asia, 
clearly our positioning is there. We have work to do in North America to elevate our positioning. I think as we continue to do that, I think the financial community will recognize that and we'll continue to see uh, our valuation come closer to the historical luxury players. Another top of the agenda issue here in Davos is generative AI and yes. its explosion onto the scene. I know that you're thinking about it, experimenting with it. How do you think it's going to change the, change the fashion business? So this business started with human creativity. I don't think that goes away. And I, I reassure Ralph and I tell him, Ralph, don't worry, you will not be obsoleted by gener generative AI. At the same time, we do see a number of areas where it can be incredibly helpful. So on the productivity front, I think that's consistent for all industries, not necessarily just fashion, right? Programming, incredibly effective from the programming standpoint. It's helping us uh, write copy on our website, for example. And then on the consumer engagement front, it's helping us develop e email and messaging for consumers. From an ideation standpoint, we, we see it as an aid to creativity and, uh, and concept development. So our teams have started to play with it. I got a chance to see them recently where we were working on US Open uniforms for 2024. As you know, we sponsor mm. a number of sports programs, mm -hmm. US Open being one of them, Olympics coming up this year in Paris. Mm -hmm. uh, and they use it as an aid for creativity and inspiration, but then the human element right. takes over. And so I think that will continue. Designers, I don't, it helps designers. Not, not in the way we think about design and in, in our creativity. Now, some parts of the industry are about just replicating what the design companies are doing. They may resort more to that, but that's not our philosophy. Because it's all about getting the getting the trends right and giving consumers what they want. Right. Feels yes. like big data would, would be able to help with that. True, but you also, you want to stay true to who you are, right? And mm -hmm. one of the challenges in this industry is if you chase trends, that might be very effective for three or four years. And there you've seen some incredible companies kind of do that very well and then fall off a cliff because then the consumer really doesn't know exactly who you are anymore and what you stand for. So for us, while we do want to be fresh and relevant, we're also really, it's very important for us to stay consistent with what we stand for, what's our point of view, what's our philosophy, and AI can help you with that. Is there, a, is there any concerns developing around copyright or intellectual property theft? Or what goes into some of these yeah, models? Yeah, I think that's a real question. Absolutely. Is, uh, you know, for example, we have 57 years of design history. We actually have it captured in a library in New York City uh, where we've kind of um, cataloged everything that's been created over the past 57 years. That's gold for this company, right? It's really the foundation of this company. We want to make sure that's protected. So that is, that is a, a real issue as it is across many industries as we're talking here this week. Feels like that's how do you protect IP? That's true. That's true in media as well, right? Uh, I think sure. it's a very important battleground. Yeah, I mean, it would be nice to see some sort of regulation or arrangement. Yeah. On, yes. On, yeah, on we have ground. to codify. I think we have, uh, and, and there's clear, clear will to do that, and there's an absolute need to do that. You mentioned you had to reassure Ralph about his job stability. Exactly. <laughs> so he's still very involved. How does that relationship work? Yes, the founder. it's amazing. Listen, was one of the key reasons I, I left uh, you know a, a long and diverse career at PNG to come to Ralph is to get a chance to work with such a visionary, iconic leader who has uh, a philosophy on the world, a philosophy on life that's just very unique and very inspiring. So Ralph is still absolutely engaged. Um, you know, Ralph says, "I'm not working; I'm living," which I think is a wonderful philosophy, actually, for all of us to reflect on. We have, we have a really nice partnership that's kind of driven by the fact that I think we have common values. We spent a lot of time up front making sure we were on the same page. We have a common ambition for the company. We're both Libras, as he uh, oh, really? reminded me. And, uh, fun fact. 
fun fact, exactly. And, and we've been able to kind of partner together without codifying on paper exactly who does what, right? And I think you see in the fashion industry historically a lot of great partnerships that have enabled very successful stories in, in this space. And I feel very fortunate and humbled to be uh, to have a chance to, to work with them. I, I have lunch with Ralph every week. Every week. Every week. He needs to change the menu because the salmon is getting a little old. At but, the polo. Uh, no, no, we, uh, oh. we, we have lunch in the office. Oh, no. Because you're in the restaurant business as well. We are is in the restaurant growth? business. Is that, is that about branding or growth or That's what? about consumer engagement. So we have five restaurants around the world. We just opened one in Chengdu. Uh, doing very well, Ralph's Bar. We have 25 coffee shops around the world. It's about giving consumers around the world the opportunity to discover and enter the world of Ralph Lauren differently than if they were going to do it through apparel. So, fun fact, we touch 2 million people every year with our hospitality propositions. So, a wonderful way to present the brands to consumers who actually discover us through a cup of coffee in Shanghai. And then they go buy a sweater? And then we trade them up or we trade them yeah. across the portfolio. We just launched preparation for the Olympics in Paris this summer. And as you know, we, we, we sponsored the US team coffee shop in Paris. Um, and after it's been a month after a wonderful start. So the consumer, wherever we put it, whether that's in China, in Japan, in London, in uh, New York, we're getting incredible response. And I think we're getting incredible response. Not that we want to be in the coffee business, but we want to be able to invite consumers into the Ralph Lauren world, and this is a way, an effective way to do it. Speaking of consumer engagement, Taylor Swift wore Ralph Lauren on That's the cover right. of Time. Beyonce wore Ralph Lauren on For the Renaissance, Renaissance tour. tour. J Lo, the wedding, she's worn Ralph Lauren. Is this a, is this does this give you a material long term boost? And did you? initiate those, those relationships? Did you pay for them? Right. Uh, so it is part of our marketing portfolio. And as I think you know, we've increased our marketing spending significantly over the past four or five years, more than doubled it. Um, that ranges from fashion shows to sporting events to gaming, to partnerships with celebrities. They, they are friends of the brand, right? Because we're very wary, Ralph and I, of seeing individuals kind of move from one brand to another driven by, by paychecks. And uh, whether that's J-Lo, Beyonce, you know, J-Lo reached out to Ralph for her wedding. Uh, and Ben was also dressed in, in Ralph Lauren. Oh, uh, I didn't know that. Beyonce reached out. I was with I Ralph. I more about the dress. Yes. Well, I look <laughs> at both. Uh, Beyonce reached out to Ralph for her Renaissance tour. I actually was with him in Colorado last summer when, when the conversation had started. And then we were super excited to see that Taylor Swift decided to wear Ralph Lauren for the cover of Time magazine. Who's the most valuable of that group in terms of customer. Uh, this, I, this, <laughs> I'm not going to answer that because there isn't an answer to it that, you know, we appeal to newborns all the way to the silent generation. So the different uh, celebrities and influencers that we work with actually appeal to very, very different consumer groups and, and consumer segments, and they all have a role to play in the way the brand is showcased around the world. I'll answer it. Taylor what Swift. Taylor Swift. All right. Thank you so much, Patrice, for spending the Thank time. Thank you. <laughs> really appreciate it, Sarah. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.